0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. And good
1: afternoon on this, uh, well, it's a fairly nondescript Sunday afternoon out there here in mighty Melbourne town. Of course, you're tuned to RRRFM. Matt Stebbin is my name. Eat It is the name of this program where we talk uh, all things food. Um, And a very busy day for restaurants today, of course, for Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, including my mum. Hello, mum. Um, I'm riding solo today because, uh, as we mentioned last week, Cam's down there at Arbury, uh, just alongside the river there in the centre of Melbourne for um, a good beer week event. In fact, how about, through the wonders of telephony, we just have a quick chat to him now. Come in, Cameron Smith, do you read me over?
2: Hello, Matt Steadman. are you there?
1: <laughs> how, how's the world down there by the river? Be a, Be a nice view where you are, I hope.
2: Uh, It's a weird easterly breeze breeze coming through, which is a little bit strange. Um, Sun is trying to poke through. We can only hope that it does. Yes. Uh, There was a whole bunch of people walking along St Kilda Road, which was kind of nice. But (laughs) the bug of the workers, uh, or the walkers, uh, the emphasis is on beer. Beer. It's it's good beer, as you know. We've been talking about this for a while. It's in its seventh incarnation
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i'm lucky enough to be down here at the arbory which is going to be an awesome event
1: yes uh
2: four chefs four brewers great location looking out over the the river yes um hey it's uh, you, you've got to be a winner if you're going to be coming down here i reckon i
1: was going to say are tickets still available or are you out of luck is it sold out yet or can you still get your way in if you uh mosey on down
2: yeah, I'd be able to make some room for you yeah, right. it, you got cash in your pocket, show, the, show us your Love money Flash the I'm, cash I'm, I'm sure they'll let you in, yes. I really am
1: That no, sounds good, but it sounds excellent
2: yeah, it, it does indeed, now, it's going to be uh, a, a lot of fun We've got, uh, who have we got, we've got Pirate Life from South Australia Yes <coughs> Excuse me, i got a little bit of a cold I know, you're um, a bit
1: froggy, you poor thing
2: yeah, I know. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger, though. Uh, Pirate Life from South Australia. Two birds, award-winning, fabulous um, gals from Spotswood. We've had yes. them on the show, haven't we?
1: We have. They're excellent.
2: Stomping Ground, we haven't, from uh, Gibbs Street in Collingwood. Mm-hmm. And Bolter from Queensland have come down. And uh, and uh, we've got... well, oh, look, it, it's just going to be great fun. Maddie Stone's coming down. But, yes. You know... We should probably not talk too much about that because... Because um, <laughs> while you're down there, yeah.
1: I'm stuck here uh, driving the bus, so we should, I guess, preview well, what
2: we've got coming let's talk about the bus. All y- right, indeed. let's look, uh, look around the uh, the scenery from the bus.
3: Mm.
2: Wow, that's the Mitchell River I see in Gippsland, right. a place called Lindeno Lindenoe. Um, yep, and uh, we're going to be talking to a very fabulous agronomist from there And there was a seed trial that happened that I was uh, lucky enough to attend last week. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to uh, get a whole bunch of uh, seed growers to come together and trial about a thousand different salads, veggies, um, roots, vegetables, corns and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty fascinating. And it was um, quite innovative too. Yeah, right. So we're going to do that. Um, what else have we got on... Oh, Jay Raynor. Yes. Listen, now we're talking about the A-list sort of, uh, cri- critics. It's actually, he's a bit of a food polymath, if you yeah, right. sort of say. You yeah. think Matt Preston, but, uh, in England, and he also has a jazz band, and, uh, <laughs> he's uh, coming out, yes. and in fact... You, my friend, Matt Sedman, are going to be doing an unscheduled giveaway of two double passes for that.
1: This is exactly true, so keep listening for that
2: but you know all about that, you're all over that and um,
1: and what else, we brought something out of the freezer too, didn't we? Did, we? we sort of rummaged around the freezer and we uh, found a chat we recorded last year about this time last year with uh, Matthew Evans who of course is now a TV presenter and farmer and formerly food critic in the previous world he now lives down there in Tasmania and uh, he released a book last year all about conserves and preserving uh, which is probably, probably a good thing to be thinking about at this sort of time of year as we uh, enter the depths of winter
2: he was. I remember he was talking about, um, was that the thing where he was talking about a copper, a copper pot is great to get that get that heat into the jam yes. and, and get it going? I remember that. No, yes. that was great. He, I like him. No,
1: he's a class actor, I agree.
2: And, you know, just speaking, even though we're on the show and all that, we should really speak to him again soon. Too. <laughs> we should soon. But uh, the great news is that the listeners will be able to do that. Hopefully that inspires them to use up some of the, the great autumn bounty that's around. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't got a copper pot, yeah, fear not, you can still do it. Just uh the one with the thickest bum of all.
1: Yes. So go go yes. and grade the bums of your pots immediately.
2: And 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 they can quote us on that. <laughs> yes, fair enough. See, look, Camp we should said, um
1: Camp said, we should let you go was. uh back to the merriment down there at the Arbory and um yeah. look, hopefully oh, you're gonna have a, okay. a really good day. <laughs> Sounds good. Yes, I'm just winding you up. Well played.
2: Awesome. Wind <laughs> me up, um set me loose and uh Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward for us all to be reunited in the studio next week.
1: In our humble abode, yes, indeed. All right, well, we should kick off. Thank you, Cami. We will obviously uh, hear from you throughout the show, and uh, we'll have a little journey to Lindenau. Lindnow, I should say, after these short messages.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, um, I'm on a pub by the side of the road in in a beautiful place called Lindenow and um, I'm speaking to a gentleman by the name of Stuart Gregg. First of all, a very, very good afternoon as the sun
4: sets on this place. Yeah, g'day Cam. It's a cracker of a day, isn't it? We've had a light frost this morning and uh, the birds are cheeping in the trees here. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, we've got a bunch of um, oh, oh, the lorikeets, I think, that
4: were up in there. But it,
0: just for those that don't know, first of all, let's describe where we are. Where is
4: Lindenow? Well, first of all, I better, sorry, correct the pronunciation, Cam. Good, it's good. Lindenow. i got. Bust, I got kicked up the box side so a lot of times, coming in here, calling it Lindenow as well. Jeez, good uh, thing we did it outside here, not <laughs> inside the pub. Otherwise, <laughs> we'd be in a, a, a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? So, yeah, Lindenow is a, um, a little farming community located on the Mitchell River, um, just out of Bairnsdale. So it's about 15 kilometres upstream up the Mitchell River um, in East Victoria.
0: And, and just to describe it, we're, we're surrounded by hills and we, we're in this, what is this beautiful, uh, looks like an alluvial floodplain plain with... Uh, with uh, soil so good, you could grow root hairs off a matchstick. Um, along this this place, this is this is prime agricultural
4: land, Victoria, isn't it? You're making the hair stand up on my back, Cam. <laughs> this is. <laughs> It is. It is. It's prime agricultural horticultural land. It was was dairy country uh, for years, and great and great dairy country makes great vegetable farming country. Yeah. And the Lyndenau Flats have some I don't know six, seven thousand, eight thousand acres of uh, vegetables vegetable production here. It's a massively um, productive little little valley, yeah. uh, pristine uh, mountain water running down the Mitchell River. Um, east Gippsland, about three hours. What is it uh, east of Melbourne? Yeah. Um Who wouldn't want to live here? Oh, you'd be you'd kind of crazy, I'd,
0: I'd tell you, if you if you wouldn't, because it look, just looks beautiful. But we're here for a specific thing, because um, across the road and a little bit up from the pub is a bunch of crops growing. Can you describe uh, what's happening up
4: there? We've got about a thousand varieties of vegetables in one site in one area it's called the East Gippsland vegetable innovation days we held some innovation days uh, in 2014 mm. and we were uh, our first inaugural uh, event was in 2014 and this year we've been encouraged to put the event on again we've brought the 10 best seed companies from Australia um, commercial vegetable producing seed companies together put all of their varieties to trial in one site side by side brought growers in, brought a whole of the vegetable industry together to showcase, innovate, network um, a- and celebrate what is a great vegetable-growing community.
0: And, and these are sort of these, these catchwords and, and buzzwords you hear, but, but dear listener, let, let me just sort of say and just to elaborate on this in the fact that for years we have seen people branding proteins, putting together, uh, you know, beef, fish, lambs branded things like that and they've had their day in the sun and for me I think this could be the dawning of something very very new in the fact that as you were saying this is the first time you've actually done interfaced there you go let's bring Mm. out the words um, between the growers and restaurateurs and people
4: in the industry and it's been kind of exciting what's happened isn't it it has it's been a real buzz actually i've i've had a wow. great afternoon we've um, we've done the f- what is it the first ever paddock to plate session mm-hmm. in australia for vegetables. For vegetables, you're yes. right. Um, so we're trying to connect seed companies, vegetable growers, um, with the restaurateurs, with the people that use our fresh produce, that are passionate about our fresh produce, and can put that fresh produce on a plate in a major city, in a regional location like uh, like Bensdale or Lakes Entrance or Meetung and 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 try and encourage them to, uh, or teach them to what's special about our industry and connect them with the produce, connect them right there with the produce at the coalface. And, and what's new and what's coming yeah. in and what is
0: profound in its taste or appearance and things. And we've seen, um, I've seen a few things, you're you, you aware of them, but um, there's been a couple of heroes that um, I've seen today. I've got one of them here. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a Chinese cabbage, Jim, but not as we know it, to use the Star Trek analogy. Um, you want to describe this thing? I've got yeah. a leaf from
4: it. Yeah, it's, it's a Chinese cabbage. It's a purple Chinese cabbage. Now, it's, I it's love purple. it. It's like magenta. It's the yeah. most
0: amazing colour. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, I love Chinese cabbage. It's a beautiful product. I eat raw. I eat a lot of it in the paddock as I'm going through. All right. I'm a bit <laughs> of a herbivore, actually. It's powered by <laughs> your veggies, yes. <laughs> so this, this this purple Chinese cabbage or purple wombok is mm. like say, it's a brilliant, uh, rich, magenta colour uh, with, a, with a, uh, a white mid-vein. Um, it's, a, it, it's just a fantastic colour. Like, on, on a plate, it just looks fantastic, doesn't it? And it, it tastes tastes really sweet and sweet. succulent and juicy. And, and, and I hope everyone else's mouth watering, because mine is. Yeah, I, I, mine is,
0: too. And it, this is the thing, that you, you taste something, and it's almost like that Pulp Fiction moment, you know? It's like... <laughs> hey, no, that's good coffee. No, it was. It's like, wow, that's that's a good cabbage. And apparently, is this the one that was developed in South Korea? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and apparently they only had one variety for a million years. And apparently this made national news because um, now the Koreans can have purple kimchi, which I suppose uh, makes them pretty, pretty happy. But the great news is it's available here, but... In a limited form at the moment, and hopefully we'll get to see more. So anyway, that's one that was amazing. The other one was... This hybrid between um, rocket and wasabi,
4: mm, mm. holy moly, that tasted good. It, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's an innovative product, and that's what these whole uh, two days down here were about, innovative mm. vegetable varieties and bringing them to um, to the consumer, bringing them to the grower. The wasabi rocket, yeah, can you imagine a, a leafy vegetable, a leafy green rocket that tastes like wasabi and has this like the, this, this bang on your palate? You're probably going to s- explain it better than me, Cam.
0: Well, I don't know if I can, but it's got the hit of the wasabi, it's got that smack in the face, but it's also got flavour as well. And I was imagining it under um, um, uh, K- Hiramasa kingfish, um, a little bit of that on top with uh, maybe some lemon oil or something like that, but just to give that kick, um, it was amazing. And then there was this giant cabbage that we had, the, the Portuguese...
4: Yeah, the Portuguese, kale? Kale or po- Portuguese kale. Portuguese kale. Yeah. Humongous. Biggest oh, thing. I'd never seen it before either. It was sort of like a, a, a mutated cabbage, the cauliflower thing that has sort of grown up and twisted. But the flavour... Big flavor, veiny sort yeah. of uh, leaves
0: on it. Yeah. Um,
4: uh, almost like a, a massive big cauliflower that forgot to make the cauliflower and just made a whole heap of leaves that sort of wrapped yeah. in around and twisted themselves up. It, but flavour, yeah. sweet, yeah. juicy, um, you know, that tended to eat. You oh, could I, make a coleslaw out of that.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was. We've seen things today, one thing that came to me was the fact that the poor old consumer and that's you out there ladies and gentlemen, the poor old consumer that shops under the fluorescent lights it's in the supermarket's interests to reduce lines of veggies, it's not about bringing more choice or more varieties unfortunately for a lot of the supermarkets so maybe the thing is that we might start seeing these sort of things
4: in restaurants perhaps
0: is that where it's going to be
4: driven well that's what we were trying to do here we're trying to connect you guys the consumers the the the, um the chefs uh, to the growers to actually drive some throughput drive some interest but also connect everyone together and hopefully get these innovative varieties these new varieties out to these consumers and see them in the restaurant Yeah, yeah that's what i'm excited about yeah um
0: well hopefully what we can do is maybe we can bring this sort of thing to melbourne for uh the restaurateurs of melbourne at some stage in the not too distant future, yeah, I'm hoping. yeah, yeah, for sure, um, would be good. Now, Ned, tell us a little bit about well, you're
4: an you're an ag- agronomist, is correct? Yeah. The,
0: what does that actually mean again? Agronomist?
4: So yeah, agronomist works with soil, works with plants, works with pests and diseases. Oh, sorry, trying to help growers. You're not anger management. Sort of thing. <laughs> oh, okay, not agro. Okay, no, good. No, actually, good. my my cycling sign off is agro stew. Oh, That's right. when I'm cycling. That's with the cycling buddies. All right. Yeah. So agronomist
0: is <laughs> someone that grows things, and your um, thing that you really love growing is um, is spinach. You're yeah, saying?
4: Yeah, spinach. I've got a bit of a passion for spinach. I um,
0: why? What is it about it that that
4: you love? It's a really uh, quick changing crop. It's yes. a really quick-growing crop.
3: Yes, uh, growers are,
4: are, are sowing it, um, you know, a couple of times a week, three times a week. There's a lot of challenges with growing it. Challenges with actually getting it into the soil and uh, and having it um, established and, and perform as, as as you would expect. Mm. Challenges with wheel, yield. Challenges with diseases. Challenges with pests. <laughs> it's a global challenge, and and the consumer loves it. Sounds like going the pen and of vegetables. And my kids eat it too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and And
0: uh, yeah, your favourite way thing to do with um, with. Spinach,
4: yeah, yeah. So I, I love cooking breakfast for for the family. So um, yeah. I'll be away a fair chunk of the week, and I get home Saturday. And Saturday morning is my I'll get home Friday night. Saturday morning is my morning with the kids. Dad's on the pans. That's right, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. <laughs> so it, it's either a scrambled eggs yeah. with um, with a little bit of um, fried bacon, some wilted spinach with a little bit of butter and salt and pepper. Now, nice. yeah, 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 that's, that's no, okay, no. is it? Yeah, yeah, it's it yeah. flavour and, and some fresh. Uh, so the, the the baby spinach is from Boma Farms here in East Gippsland, where a good where I work, yeah. um, and then a few um, freshly picked uh, tomatoes out of our veggie garden, yes, maybe a little bit of basil in there, that sort of thing, just sort of heat them up in the pan as well, yeah. and it's ho- all, of it, all five of us hop into a sort of a really great scrummy breakfast that uh, we've all sort of been involved in cooking. Yeah, it's fantastic. Kids all love right. it. It
0: sounds great. All right, now, if um, uh, restaurateurs, consumers out there that are listening to the show, if they want to get more information, um, how would they go about doing it, do you think?
4: Yeah, that's a really good question, Cam. And I'm hoping... early.
0: this is the thing we're, we're we're seeing the genesis of something here. What pub is this again? This is the Lyndenau Pub. The, okay, yeah, yeah, with the right pronunciation. But yeah, I think uh, I've just got this feeling that um, I'm at something that I haven't seen before, and I, I think it's really, really exciting.
4: I'm hoping you, Cam, can can help us to drive that. That's that's been the exciting part of it. The East Gippsland Food Cluster um, oh, yes. is a, which is a, a cluster of um, uh, food producing businesses down here in East Gippsland. Like-minded they... folk. That's yeah, yes. that's right, yeah. Yep. Um, they would be a really good point of contact, or myself. You can contact me, my website, Stuart Grigg Aghort Consulting, yep. and I'm sure I can help. Say them. that again slowly. Stuart Grigg yeah. Aghort Consulting. And it's also a bit of a East
0: Gippsland Food cluster. cluster. That's Nicola Watts and her
4: cohorts. Simon, yeah. Yes, Simon. Mm-hmm. Yes, God bless you. Yep. Um, yeah, contact us. We can definitely help to facilitate your connection with uh, with the mm. growers and with these new and innovative varieties for sure for sure.
0: There's a lot of stuff happening out here and uh, we'll let the Oh no! know, it looks like the, the rainbow lorikeets have moved off, but uh, we look out across over this beautiful valley as the sun's going down and I think it's going to get cold, but uh, I reckon the, all these
4: vegetables warm all our hearts. So We're going to have some lovely vegetables tonight. We're going to have a little bit of lovely wine as well and uh, we'll party into the night down here, Cam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he should be working. <laughs> yeah, he should be working. Time to sign off and say adios
0: from Say it properly. Stuart Grigg? No, no, the place there. Because oh. I said it so badly, I mangled it. Lindeneau. Not Lindenauer. No, Lindenau. No, Lindeneau. Don't as Lindenow. One more time. How do you say it?
3: Now? Oh, Lindeneau.
0: Nice. Signing off. Thank you. You know what? A few years ago, a high-powered food reviewer turned his back on the, uh, on the, on the shallow city that he had been... Uh, no, that's not fair. Um, one of the most important food reviewers uh, in Sydney decided to uh, have a little bit of a tree change and moved down to the Apple Isle, or what was known as the Apple Isle, and uh, has prospered and done very well and has become a, a very, very important voice in self-sufficiency and growing food and, uh, well, being the gourmet farmer. We're talking, of course, about Matt Evans, um, proprietor of Fat Pig Farm and author and he's got another book. And you know what? It's a Ethan beauty. Matt, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. It's been a while since we've... Sp- we did speak last year, didn't we, I think?
5: Oh, uh, it might have been a couple of years ago now, yeah. But, uh, we, you, know, every, you know, I, I love uh, dipping in every now and then. Oh, yeah, I think you might have done a phone-up. Yeah, yeah well, we did. did, we did f-
0: I, I think we did. Well, um, with this time of year, of course, we... Traditionally, we sort of look at the great abundance and... Uh, And for a lot of people, especially living in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, the techniques that you espouse and um, sort of elucidate so beautifully in this book were necessary for survival. But um, that's changed. I'm just talking about preserving in general.
5: Why do we preserve? Yeah, Yeah, look, I think that's one of the the big questions that I've sort of tried to answer myself over the years. Why? These days, you've got fridges, you've got freezers, you've got... You yeah, we've, know, got, we've um, got big food got... companies that looked after <laughs> our nutrition, Matt.
0: Why, why should yeah, we even yeah, worry?
5: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Well, look, I, 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 part of it is... Um, that I think it's really good to make things at least once so then you actually know how they're made and what, go, what should go into them. So then if you've made your own pasta sauce,
3: yeah.
5: um, you know it only needs three ingredients, but if you look on the side of a simmer sauce, you might see 23 ingredients and wonder what the other 20 are for. So it gives mm-hmm. you an understanding, I guess, of, of how food can be made or should be made. Um, but I think particularly with this sort of thing like pickling and preserving, um, making jams, what what it's about is um, it's just it's just saying what I can make what I can do mm. is different to everybody else. It, it preserves what I grow, what grows, what's hanging over my neighbour's fence. Because I've got to be honest, there's a lot of people around who know where to find the free fruit. Yeah, um, legally yours seen. if
0: it's over the fence. We know that, that's don't right. we? Uh. Yeah,
5: And and one tree can produce a lot of um, a lot of fruit. Um, and so, even, and one, you know, let's face it, one cucumber plant can produce too many cucumbers for one human. So, <laughs> yes. if, if there's a way, if there's a way to, to preserve that, um, I think it's it's a good thing to do. And the good thing about what we do now is we don't have to use as much salt or as much vinegar or as much um, sugar necessarily as when we had to preserve it that way. Oh, we can oh, really? adapt the flavors and adapt the the techniques because we're not reliant on it. If if your jam goes mouldy on top and you have to scoop out a little bit, you know, you can, uh, worst case scenario, go to someone else and buy some jam. So, if, so it's not you know, life-threatening. You're, you're not going to... It's not life no, no. You're not die there's no if jam. you run out. Yeah. But you. But what you can do is enhance pretty much, this is what was really interesting to me, because a lot of this is new to me the last few years, but you can enhance pretty much every meal that you eat. So you can be having mm, a yeah. roast chicken. And have made your own garlic chili sauce to go with that mm. and make it taste better, or you could be having a you know a cold lamb sandwich you know, and have some lemon um, chutney with that um, you can be, have made your own mustard to have on a um, you know, on a toasted cheese sandwich and and everything that you 're doing is making something taste better you know, if you made a little apple syrup for your pancakes um, it 's improving every meal and what we like it is that you, you put in a bit of effort. Mm. On one hour or one day to make um, put these things in your pantry, mm. and then for the next year you're pulling them out, going, "Oh my god, I've got my own you sauce." S- there's still some sauce. left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, because they go a long way. You know, generally, yeah. you, you know, you don't make a jar of jam; you make a kilo of fruit into jam, which ends up as so,
0: you know, sort
5: of ten jars.
0: Maddie, you've sort of inferred that this is sort of this is a new area for you. Um, like, I don't know did you did you ever make any jams before as a, as a kid or was oh, that part of yeah, your yeah. or sauce what did you make what were your faves
5: oh look when i was a kid we we, we made a bit of marmalade and um oh, yeah. I, I, we used to have decent apricot trees and we'd make apricot jam which is which mm. now i know is one of the easier ones to make but it's also one of the best
0: because isn't it it's,
3: awesome i love every homemade jam.
5: apricot jam is just unlike bought apricot jam it's Agreed. just such a revelation mm. and um, but I guess what I had to learn, and well, what I've been learning over over the years, last few years, is um, more about how to do things. Like I really love a dill pickle, so you know, like people would give me dill pickers, and I'd love some of them, and not not other ones. So it's about taking something that I wanted to eat and saying, well, how how can I make that in the way that I really like? And especially, and can I can I yeah.
0: just just especially with those dill pickles? There's a certain bespoke uh hipster style sort of pickle that comes i think with a brooklyn accent um anyway it's a but the 12 dollar jar of pickles and you just have to look at that and go that is just insane <laughs> it's a pickle <laughs> know. in a know brine
5: much, for god's sake we all know much how much the cucumber costs yeah so um yeah it's it, it is a it's a strange thing that these things can cost um, can can be so expensive. And look, I guess that's people saying I want to eat something really delicious yeah. and I couldn't be bothered making it myself. Oh,
0: well, that's it. Um, yeah. but,
5: but for all those who want to make it yourself, I mean, let's face it, it's really
6: it's easier
5: than um than a lot of uh, things, you know, dinners that you would cook, making some dill pickles is is way easier. Yeah, it um, is, isn't it? Than, than and than if I can,
0: if I can paraphrase this book, which is called Not Just Jam, um, is um, about a small investment in time that is going to repay you markedly over a much greater period of time. That's true,
5: yeah, isn't it? And that, yeah, and that's what I mean. Doing this book when we we photograph the book. Last year, who did the photos? The, uh, Alan Benson, who's a, a, a former chef, who's a food, food photographer, friend, who's done all my books, and he, yeah, you know, we, we just we just stayed in and and made stuff for a few days, <laughs> yeah,
3: and
5: I, and I came out of the experience. that's so rewarding. What a beautiful thing to do to have the excuse to stay in and cook. Mm. But even better, I walked away, and I have. Still product. eating the, you know, the bounty of, of that because we yeah. had to make it for the shoot, and here I am still eating it. Um, you know, twelve months later nearly. So it's it's it is one of those things, and it is one of those joys that when you discover, oh my god, I forgot about that that um, bottle of you know, barbecue sauce that I made. Yeah, and it's a lot of these things get better. So the more you can forget about your pickled onions, the better The the better it'll get. So it's it is one of those um, those joys to discover in the back of the pantry when it gets pushed behind a big bag of rice or something
3: all right and Um, through
0: anything that uh, brings great joy that you know you've got to have a few rules you know (laughs)
3: you've got to sort of just
0: hold up the finger hang about no no let's do this properly what are the basic rules of thumb for for this undertaking
5: yeah, so there's ways to stop things going off. That's and, a good idea.
3: Um, like that.
5: Yeah, so that, that's the whole point Tick. is to, to, pre- to yeah, preserve things. So so you can add sugar, yep. you can add salt, yep. you can add vinegar, yep. and you can heat, heat things. So if you do one of those things or a combination of those things, You've got yourself then you covered. can... You can get to cover yourself. So I do actually have a, a bunch of rules, and particularly with jam, which seems so simple. You just to make jam, you boil fruit and sugar. Look, it's really, really easy. Yep. Yep. But to get the perfect jam, it's kind of like the perfect sourdough. It's all yeah, you know, which is just flour and water and a bit of salt. Mm. You know, to get the perfect sourdough is, is is you can spend your life doing it, or you can just have a crack and yeah. give it a go and enjoy <laughs> the la- you know what you do want. But jam is one of those things you. To get it to retain its colour, to have the um, flavour, and to have it, you know, the right texture, which is the hardest thing, um, is a is a beautiful thing to pursue. And the thing is, it it is a a pursuit because your jam this year will, will cook differently from next year because of the season, because of the fruit, because, because of the,
0: the water content, content, for the yeah, yeah
5: the ripeness, of the fruit, yeah, and all that kind of How
0: pectins around?
5: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it depends a lot on your pan. I mean, they, they sell these things called jam pans, which are surprising. You'll be amazed to learn this can. Yeah. Jam pans are brilliant at making jam. They're so much better than a saucepan.
3: What is a and, jam pan? I mean,
5: yeah, exactly. What is, what, is is jam jam pan? what is this jam pan? What is this jam pan you speak of, Matt? Yeah, so they've got a really um, big base. So it's got they a big ass. sloping float, size. Mm. Yes. And um, and they're quite low size. And what that does is allows... Lots of heat to get to the base. Yes. and Lots of evaporation. So very quickly you're evaporating moisture off, and very quickly you're heating the fruits. And those two things help to keep the quality in the jam. And and look, I've made jams in saucepans and pots and all sorts of shapes shaped things. Hmm. But when I discovered the jam pan, and in particular a copper one, which is, you know you have to do it, you do have to sell your firstborn to, to buy one of these things.
2: But then you've you got it. And,
5: and then you've got but you've got it for life. Um. they surprisingly, you know because people have only spent hundreds of years perfecting them <laughs> and inventing them and designing it yes. actually make better jam yeah. so so there are, there are things you can do to make, to make it easier for yourself. Yeah. But um, yeah, but but um, you, you can actually do it with your, with your average saucepan, and your product be you know, can be can be really good. But there are things that can make it easier.
0: But just to get back again, so what we want is something with a thick bottom. I made just a bad joke, an anatomical sort of joke. Thick bottom <laughs> um, copper oh, would be yeah, the, white bottom yeah. is the best. And uh, yeah, as you say, evaporation. The other thing that was one of the major uh, rules that um, stood out for me was you said do not. Be tempted to double any of these recipes.
5: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I wrote that, Cam, and you know what I did the other day? I made jam and doubled the recipe. And I, I've, I've written it. In the book, it says we never double recipes. We this always is... do the same recipe in, mul- in multiple So times this is the tears
0: times. of Matthew's bitter experience that this and was I written in. I ignored
5: it because I was in a, in a hurry. And uh, I've got this totally delicious but slightly um, less than uh, perfect. Uh, brilliant red. Uh, strawberry jam, and I'm, I'm blaming the pimps that I put in there, <laughs> right? Because um, um, that bit, yeah, you know, that takes a little bit of the colour off, you know, the, yeah. the sheen off the colour. Yes, um, But actually, you know, it took an extra five minutes to cook, and that's because I oh. I simply did twice as much in the in the pot. So, look, it's really tempting to double it. You can halve the recipe because you're actually better off cooking these if in a in a frying pan than you are in a in a saucepan because you need shallow, so really shallow. Lots of room for evaporation, lots of heat coming up the but in, into the base. Okay. Um, and I ignored my own uh, advice. And you need a fairly and, uh, good.
0: And I'd say that you'd underneath that you need a fairly good heat source too, like a pretty a good a really size, good, good size stove ring yeah. at the best. Yeah. Anyone
5: who's got a decent, um, you yeah, know, most people have a, a wok burner size flame these days. So they a good flame. Um, because what it is, what happens when you heat the fruit? The longer you heat the fruit, the more it can lose a little bit of its colour and a little bit of its fragrance. Gotcha. So what happens is if, if you double the recipe what you're doing is you're increasing the cooking time. So it takes longer to get to the temperature. It, gets, it doesn't evaporate quite as much because of the shape of the pan. Mm-hmm. And um, so it it
3: it's
5: it's it, like um like anything, you cook it longer, I like to cook cabbage for you know, the longer you cook it the more it changes colour.
0: Yeah and finally so it, you, you get sulfur it, from cabbage. That's and the great bonus. Yeah. Hey, wow, it's releasing sulfur. So, the, the longer you cook it, the, the, the dumber it gets, really.
5: Well, yeah, it just loses no? some of its quality. And, and it's like a lot of this stuff. The, the quicker you can um, get it up to temperature, get it to the right setting point, that so we talk about the set for a jam, which is the, the, you know, when it's going to spread on toast and not just run off the side of your toast. Yep. The quicker it gets to that point, um, the more you're retaining the, the fresh fruit character. Okay. And it doesn't matter if it takes a long time to get to that point. It just means you, you know, your jam probably not going to be quite as um, as
3: vibrant. And um, y- but know, if you
5: start with great breeze, you'll probably have a great jam anyway.
3: Yeah. The other
0: thing that, you know... OK, so we look at this book. It's from Murdoch Books. Not that Murdoch, just so people know. Um, and the thing is that it's got your name on the front of it, Matthew Evans. And yet... The thing that comes across with this book and a lot of cookbooks is that behind you is just an incredible amount of uh, contributors and helpers and uh, people sort of setting you straight. It's It looks like it's been a just a sensational collaboration with people in your area sharing some pretty good secrets to you.
3: Yeah,
5: so, so this book, because I'm not the, the best jam maker, or, um, I, I wanted to go to someone who makes brilliant jam so we have a, a lady who actually styles all the uh, has been my food stylist on the last three books i think and um she makes brilliant jam she's the jam I,
0: whisperer I,
5: yeah she was like yeah she, she does incredible jam yeah. and um so i went to her and she actually co-wrote the book so a lot of the jam recipes are hers but i guess a lot of what she gave me was also the wisdom and, and what I've tried to do is harness her wisdom but also, you know, every grandma and every, you know, every person I meet who's a good preserver mm. and, and take their wisdom and put it into the book. And really, like like a lot of, well, pretty much all my books, they're, they're um, paying homage to the people who came before, for the generations who, you know, for the deli book, it was people who who learned how to cure bacon and smoke ham. You know, for this book, it's the people who who who've, um, gardened and then said, "Well, oh my God, my garden's given me too much. How do I pickle that or preserve that?" Or you know, so it, it's always we, what we're trying to do is take pay homage to the people who came before and say, "Look, th- th- there's so much good knowledge out there." You know, the nursing home near me probably has more, you know, great knowledge on how to pickle <laughs> and preserve them yeah. than not just jam. The difference, difference is, you know, not everyone can just rock in and and,
3: <laughs> and pick
5: the brains of the people who who live there. Um, so uh, I guess what we're trying to do is, is, you know, say, look, here's all this wisdom, here's all this knowledge in a readily accessible form that you can carry around in your... Um, Keep uh, you know, having your kitchen, yeah. Well,
0: um, congratulations. This is the book best book of preserving i think i've seen to be honest with you. the fact uh, it's a it's a picture to each page so every time you see a recipe you will just about everyone you'll see um a picture of it a real beautiful picture it goes from uh, jams to preserves to jellies to chutneys to curds. it's look there's a lifetime of preservation here and uh, and making your life just a little bit better when you go to the pantry matthew congratulations on this book i think this should be well, if you're into cooking at all, this this should be in your in your library. So congratulations on that. Uh look forward to speaking to you uh in the not too distant future on uh, maybe we'll talk into you in the middle of winter and see how you're going.
3: Love to. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Cam.
0: See oh, ya. Pleasure. Matthew Evans there on three Triple RFM. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me uh, an enormous delight, actually a warm feeling in my heart uh, looking across to Old Blighty because we have on the line Jay Rayner, restaurant critic for The Observer for, oh, forever, 15 years, journalist, writer, broadcaster, musician and um, a flowery shirt guy. Uh, We welcome you to 3RRR. Jay, hello.
6: It's a delight to be here. Uh, after that kind of introduction, I hope I can live up to it.
0: Well, well, let's. Uh, well, we'll see how we go. But uh, uh, first of all, something something must be made mention of the fact of the great convoluted nature of uh, communications. In the fact that can you can you just describe where you are at the moment, just to give people an idea?
6: <laughs> well, I've moved across the road from my own house. I'm on a mobile phone. I've moved across the road from <laughs> my own house because I'm having my kitchen renovated, and um, I have some. Uh, sturdy Russian chaps who are drilling the old kitchen floor to remove the tiles, and I had a choice, which was to try and explain to the Russian chaps why they needed to stop drilling the floor, or come across to a neighbour's. So and I thought I'd, I'd go with the latter.
0: I, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of I'm thinking double denim. I'm thinking of peat caps and their and jowls moving as they as they manfully labour in your kitchen.
6: Uh-oh. Whatever gets you through the, through the day, mate. <laughs> that, those sort of images do it for you, that's fine. Uh, to, sound like Tom of Finland.
0: I just want to call, Vladimir, I need you. Jay, food has been very much front and centre of, uh, of your focus of your life. Um, what has been the genesis of this? How, how, did, how did this take place?
6: Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a slightly long story, but I'll try and keep it short. I've been a writer, reporter, journalist for 30 years. Hmm. Um, I've written about almost anything and everything apart from sport and even then I once covered the all-natural bodybuilding championships Um, but about, actually it's longer than I, it's almost 18 years ago It became clear that the restaurant critic job was going on the paper, and I I said to the editor of the section it appeared in, this is a job you can't apply for, because if you could, the queue would be out the door.
0: Yes. Um,
6: And it turned out she wanted me to do the job, but the overall editor of the paper didn't, because he um, wanted me to carry on being his, his general feature writer. But I kind of managed to stick to my guns. And for me, what... It wasn't just actually that it was about going out for dinner Well, that's a marvellous thing. It's that food is a way into so much of our lives. It's, it's Obviously, it's about taste and pleasure, but it's also about politics and uh, emotion and sex and family and the environment. It, it covers everything. And I actually think that food supply will become the defining issue of the 21st century. And so over the past 18 years, I, I, I've not just written about food as a restaurant critic, although that's something I'm well known for. I've carried on as a reporter, looking at it from a global perspective in a variety of books. And to a certain extent, one of the you know the book that I'm uh, sh- I'm doing a show in Melbourne, and the reason we're talking is a book again based on that kind of reporting around food. If food is a brilliant subject because we, we all need it.
0: And if people are interested in reading about your book about food security, which I agree, which will probably be one of the defining things of the 21st century, food and water, we can recommend A Greedy Man in a Hungry World. Was that Penguin? Uh,
6: That was Hopper Collins, as it happened. Ooh, okay. Uh, Run by... uh, 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 Yes, company owned by an interesting chap called Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, that was a book a, a few years ago. Probably, you know, still worth... Um, me doing a follow-up. I, you know, there are so many intriguing issues in the globalization of food. The fact that any spare dairy for a good few years at the beginning of the noughties was being siphoned out of Australia and New Zealand and heading straight into China, um, which people weren't very aware of. Yes, that um, the great suppliers that were supplying the British supermarkets suddenly found that they could earn just as much by sending it all to China, and these massive changes in in global appetites have really restructured the way we eat on a global scale. It's fascinating stuff
0: before we get to your show which i'm dying to find out about i just wanted to um look back at your extensive list of books that you've done and and one especially is uh, what my dining hell and and i would put to you that that people love a bad review it's sort of the, the equivalent of if it bleeds it leads and it, if there's a way to focus people it's on the bad review because it 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 just travels like wildfire. Would you like to maybe tell us about some I mean, of these to, awful experiences?
6: Yeah, it must be true. I, the, the, what, the, the book you're referring to, My Dining Hell, is is a, a, a thin volume which won't trouble you for long of 20 of my most appalling negative restaurant reviews. And the reality is this. Uh, but people have said to me for a while, why don't you do a compilation of your journalism? I've always thought it a strange, self-regarding thing to do because nothing dates like journalism. Yes. But in any case, I thought that the only thing people would really want to read is the negative reviews. So why not just dispense with all the stuff they don't want to read and go with the negative reviews? And... You're right, they are compelling and they are something people want to read. They're the smallest part of what I do. In any one year, 25 of my reviews will be positive, 15, 16 will be sort of middling, mm-hmm. and then only 9 or 10, a fifth of them, will be actually negative. But those are the ones people remember. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote a review of a Michelin three-star in Paris called Le Saint and that review went global, viral. It was the most extraordinary thing to see. And I think it's basically because negative stories... Our negative narratives are more compelling. If you go to a friend and say, How was your holiday? and they say, Well, you know, the plane (laughs) took off on time, the sun shone, the hotel was lovely. These are minutes of your life you'll never get back. But if they tell you the plane almost crashed and the hotel manager was a sex pest and the hotel was barely built, now you're interested. Now Uh you want to know. And kind of start placing yourself in that experience and you, you imagine how you would deal with it. Um, and so really, I'm just performing a public service by going and having a miserable time on everybody else's behalf.
0: And there's a direct uh, proportionality with the how great a restaurant is if you give a bad review, because uh, those sort of things travel like wildfire, do they not?
6: Well, they do. And actually, the, the reality is I've... <laughs> Very rarely, I mean, I think there are probably some exceptions, but i uh, have I given a real stinker to a small mom and pop affair mm. if it 's a small independent restaurant and it 's terrible and it 's failing all by itself it doesn 't need me to wade in with my twelve size twelve feet or whatever the Australian equivalent is to stamp all over it um, the The ones that get my go are the ones that are charging astronomical sums for starters and main courses where you know a, a, a bill for dinner runs into three figures ahead and they think they're the bee's knees and you just know that it really once you strip away the nice cutlery and the glassware and the bowing waiters and all of that stuff what you have is a really mediocre meal that's what really gets me angry because my column is essentially about how much pleasure can your money buy you? And pleasure is based in a lot of things. It's to do with expectation. It's to do with reputation. Um, and, you know, if it doesn't match up for it, somebody's got to say, I think, as I say, I think I'm doing, performing a service, but then I would do, wouldn't I?
0: You're calling out the emperor's new clothes, you could say.
6: You could. I mean, there was a lot of that about this review from Paris. Mm. <laughs> people might like to look up. It's not hard to find. Le Sank if you do the, the my name and the the French for five, you'll find it. Um, that you know, the Michelin three stars of Paris are, they have a status which is seen to be impenetrable. So when some arty Englishman dared, dared <laughs> to say, it's very good. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the response from the French media was hilarious. Oh, really? I pretty much hated... Oh, yeah, yeah, Le Figaro, Le Libération, um, Le Monde, they all ran major, major features on this ridiculous upstart of an Englishman who thinks he can dare tell the French what their cooking is like. I think in the end it comes down to the fact that I am now hated across France but rather loved across the rest of the world and it's much better that way than the other way around.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's not a bad a bad relationship, although you might have to adopt some sort of a disguise if you're, uh, if you're heading down there Next time, I suppose. <laughs> hey. Well, we'll
6: see how it goes. I'm, I, I can look after myself.
0: This brings us also to a book, uh, another slim tome by uh, by Penguin, released twenty sixteen. The ten uh, in bracket food commandments. Um, I've got to say that these all seem eminently sensible. Would Would you like to tell us about this
3: book? <laughs>
6: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I will say it's a thin volume because we kept the print size small so so it's it's we could sell it to a good price. Um, it's ten essays on how we eat now, mm. with the commandment being kind of a jumping-off point for a 5,000-word sort of fully, properly, journalistically researched idea. So there's things like Thou shalt eat with thy hands wherever possible, and Thou shalt worship leftovers Thou shalt choose thy dining companions bloody carefully and honour thy pig. I believe in honouring thy pig. Um, and there, there, are, there are a general journey around each of these subjects with recipes at the end as well. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to write. And I hope it's a, you know, it's a, a nice, chewy read.
0: Commandment number eight brought down from the mountain, which is, Thou shalt celebrate the stinky.
6: Well, this is, you know, there are people who go, oh, I don't eat that and I won't eat this and oh, it's horrible. And, and one of those particular categories are really smelly fermented foods. Um, and obviously the most obvious is stinky cheeses, but then you get into, um, a whole bunch of fermented fish products, which are sort of familiar on the Pacific Rim. Um, from their genesis in Thailand and Laos and Cambodia and they may stink to high heaven or durian fruit for durian, example yep. you, know, with, you may be familiar Yeah, mm. which absolutely stinks to high heaven but, but when you eat it it's absolutely delicious and there's a very interesting subject investigated there about why we are willing to eat things that generally smell of um, human bodily secretions we'll leave it at that um, but actually taste wonderful and i'm a strong believer that these things are life-affirming and if i meet someone who's really not into them i think oh mm. you're not really out grabbing life <laughs> by the horns are you
3: mm. um, and
6: so it, it, it's also an investigation of why we like these things what is it we like about them um and, uh, you know the show that i do is based on this book and when i get to that commandment i even have a video of me eating uh, a swedish herring product called search oh god yes yeah that's foods in mm. the world yes it's it's, it's full-on yes full-on and uh, you know even uh, but actually it's it's compelling as well eaten in the right way ritualized in the right way it becomes a marvelous marvelous thing and i'm fascinated by all that stuff
0: now tell us about so you're going to be um coming you're coming here to melbourne we're, we're very very happy to have you Where is it? it's uh it's uh what is it J. ray and may isn't it
6: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing um, a world tour of New Zealand and Australia. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Auckland and I come to Brisbane. And I finish with, with you guys um, at Northcote Town Hall uh, under the auspices of the Wheeler Centre. And oh. the, the show that I do, and I do it a lot around the UK, is basically, I wrote the book and the show at the same time. And it's, it's sort of 55 minutes of stand-up, if I'm really honest, using audiovisual stuff. Well, with a, with a keynote... Uh, yeah, it's not death by PowerPoint. <laughs>
0: oh, good, good.
6: Uh, but, actually, <laughs> but there's interesting things you can do with audiovisual stuff, and you can turn it into your, your straight man on stage um, oh. and then fire off those images and work with them. I, what happened, you mentioned the book of mine, Greedy Man and the Hungry World. When I wrote that, I knew it was fodder for discussion panels at literary festivals, and I hate them. I hate discussion panels. I hate sitting on them. I hate being in the audience of them. And I had to come up with a way to avoid being asked on discussion panels, which I decided was the one-man show. So turn the book into a one-man show, and and it became a bit of a thing. It became a rather successful part of my working life. And so I've done three of them. This is the third. And this time, the book and the show were written at the same time. Um, And it's it's a lot of fun. So there's you know, the fifty five minute stand up bit in the first half and then we throw it open to the audience with their commandments and a Q and A. Um and yeah, I'm very much looking forward to doing it in Melbourne.
0: And any scratch and sniff sort of cards or anything like that?
6: Um I I haven't quite got into that, but I do have Moses robes and uh, tablets of <laughs> stone which are in fact pizza boxes. <laughs> saying, do as I say. I don't wear that. Look, I think we need a new culinary Moses, someone to lead us to the edible promised land, and I'm, you know, six foot four, got too much hair, and a graying beard. Can't, I can't see who else would be better for the job.
0: Sounds great. All you really need is, uh, like, the soundtrack from The Robe, you know, from those 50s biblical plays with lots of, wah! You know, a bit of a bit of that going on it could be fantastic. No.
6: Mm-hmm. I, I have a bit of... Yeah, I have a few tricks up my sleeve. Okay, That's don't give... Sure. No, well, I'm c- not... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not coming down off the mount unarmed.
0: Okay, good, good. That's uh, that's good. So, um, okay. if people want to book for this, I imagine there will be a portal at the Wheeler Centre. Would be uh, the way that they
6: can there do there, that. There is, or they can they can bounce around the world by going to my website jreiner.co.uk and mm. on my live shows page, it's all there. Okay, all so the not... for friends and other places, they can find shows also
0: elsewhere in Australia. Yeah, not to not to your phone as you watch Russians do things to your kitchen.
6: <laughs> well, maybe I should put a webcam up and see if I could sell that. Okay,
0: could be, could be kind of good. Now, uh, there's uh, one thing, a couple, actually, things before I do let you go. As well as being this uh, gastronomic luminary uh, within uh, the old country uh, that you are, uh, but you're also a musician and you, um, you have the Jay Rayner Quartet, and I was... I was just wondering, and you, and you were saying you like food songs, and I was just wondering if you could sort of give us, uh, tell us your, your favourite foodie sort of songs.
6: It, it just so happens that there is quite a repertoire which seems to touch upon food, and mm. partly that's because of the history of jazz being related to restaurants and bars that was where jazz happened. It happened in eating houses. It happened where people met to eat. And then so inevitably sometimes people would, you know, write songs around that. So Black Coffee, for example, which is a great blues number. Mm. Um, and, it, uh, you know, it, it has a terrific lyric. Another great uh, drink song, One For My Baby. Oh,
3: yes. Um, yep. the
6: classic, the Harold Allen's song. You listen to that. It's a, it, Frank Sinatra called that the ultimate drunk song. Um, uh, then there are a, a few other more interesting ones. Herbie Hancock seemed to show, um, a, a slightly obsessive interest in melons. He obviously wrote Watermelon Man and Cantaloupe Island, that we often gear Cantaloupe Island, which is a cracking tune. Um, there's lots of different places you can go. Oh, we do a, we do a jazz version of Food Glorious Food from Oliver, which sounds a little bit like on Green Dolphin Street until you realize what's going on. Um, and it, but it's also, about, it's also about the story. So uh, I, I, I imagine many of the listeners won't know, but my mother was very well-known in Britain as an agony aunt. Um, she's gone now. She died a few years ago. Oh, but she was, a, she was an agony aunt and sex so advice columnist and, and very well-known in the UK. And I'd never really talked about her. So we also, I tell stories about growing up with a mother who was a sex advice columnist. And a lot of blues songs also sound like letters to an agony aunt. So, um, we do a bit of that as well. And, um, yeah, it was very nice. We've got our first live album coming out in the autumn. Um, and it's a rather joyous part of my life. I'm late you know, I'm 50 and somewhere along the line, I managed to pick up an extra career and I'm delighted by it.
0: Well, happy birthday for that significant one with a with a zero on it. Um, I'll finish this up by by just asking you um, a question. It's a little bit hackneyed, but it's it's kind of fun. The death row meal or your last supper. What what would be your last meal?
6: Uh, you, you see, I've always been suspicious of the question because if it, if I was on death row, I would be furious at the injustice of the state trying to take my life for a crime, I clearly didn't commit. Yeah. And the idea that I'd have the appetite for dinner at all um, has always mystified me. But if what you're really asking by the question is, given no boundaries, given no yes. considerations, the consequences, what would you have? The answer actually would be an enormous plate of spare ribs, <sighs> which I could eat with my hands and get sauce all over my cheeks and not worry about anybody seeing the mess i would made of myself.
0: And if you did, why would you care? Because this was going to be your last meal anyway. Exactly.
6: Exactly. Exactly. I'm off in the morning.
0: So, um, Jay, you're going to be coming down to, I'll just uh, correct your pronunciation there, my friend, Uh, Northcote Town Hall. What's the date? I I
6: take it on the chin, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Northcote Town Hall, under under the auspices of the Wheeler Centre, and it's May the 24th.
0: Oh, my God, I love the way you...
6: A couple of weeks
0: away. Oh, and I do love the way you said Northcote. It was just a mellifluous beautifulness to my ears. Um, Jay, looking forward to hopefully meeting you when you come down. Um, is this your first time in
6: Australia? Yes, it is. Oh. Yes, it is. I, I basically didn't didn't get your way you know, as a young man, and eventually got to a point where I said, I'm not coming unless I can be in the pointy end of the plane. Oh, wow and built like a truck. So um, happily we managed to make the whole thing work and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun.
0: So in front of the aircraft you'll be landing in um, what we call the glorious Prague of the South, the, the cultured capital of Australia. We've got great food here. We really, really do.
6: I I, know. I I understand that. There's a lot of my friends have worked in Melbourne. Obviously, Heston Blumenthal had his restaurant there for a while. He's got another one there now. Um, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I do love regional little rivalries and so forth. The outrage. Uh, by the people of Sydney that are not going (laughs) there is
3: marvellous
6: (laughs)
0: absolutely baffled ah, we've got to love that well look look, I look forward to meeting you when you do come down thank you so much for your time Uh, Jay I'll let you get on with your morning and um, I hope you have a fabulous day but thank you so much for having a chat to
6: us thanks very much mate good talking to you